We're in James chapter 5, verse 7 through 12. Oh, the subject you're all going to love today. Be patient, brethren. Oh, patience. Yes, if you would, stand for reading God's word. Therefore, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and latter rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brethren, lest you be condemned. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. My brethren, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and patience. Indeed, we count them blessed who endure. You have heard of the perseverance of Job and seen the end intended by the Lord, that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. But above all, my brethren, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no, no, lest you fall into judgment. This is the word of God. Please be seated. As you know, the theme, theme of James is genuine faith produces genuine works. James 2.26, faith without works is dead. Does that mean that we're saved by doing good works? No, no, we're not. Do works save you? No, but it does demonstrate something. It does demonstrate that, some, that we are genuine, that we're Christians. So a person's life that is really born again of the Spirit, there's, there has to be a change. If anyone is in Christ as a new creature, old things pass away. Behold, all things become new. There is a change in your life. So there's a change in conduct. There's a change in productivity. First John adds this, genuine faith obeys God's commands, loves the word, and loves the brethren. Now let me ask you, what's a demonstration that we love the brethren? What you guys did today demonstrates that you love the brethren, that you meet together, even in adverse circumstances, that you love being together, that you love being together. You put up with what we put up with one another, and that we have thick skin and soft hearts towards one another. Now, last week we talked about the worldly wealthy who are oppressing the brethren. And remember, the, 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 the audience that James is writing to are persecuted Christians, Jewish Christians that have been dispersed throughout the world. On top of that, the wealthy are exploiting them. So they're suffering because they've lost their home, they've lost their work, they've lost their family, they've lost friends because they decided to become a Christ follower. And now in the culture that they are immersed in, the wealthy were even exploiting them. And then there was a warning to the wealthy that your stuff is going to pass away. It will erode. We, we know that entropy is true. The second law of thermodynamics is true. Everything is unwinding. It's corroding. Gave the example of our new car that we park an umpteen spaces out in the parking lot so no one touches it. But within two years, you're willing to squeeze it in next to somebody that you know has a potential to crush the sides of your car with their door. Everything winds down. Everything loses its value. The rich were focusing on their possessions and forgot the important truth that this whole thing will end. It was prophetic. In chapter 5, verse 1, there was a warning to the rich. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for your miseries that are coming upon you. The miseries that were coming was Rome in 70 A.D., Within 20 years, these people lost everything that they valued so much. All of their wealth was gone. Everything they hoarded, everything they were cheating, they were cheating people for, the laborers, is gone. The living for the, for the pleasure of the moment was foolish. The rich trust their wealth and they don't trust God. How foolish is that? Remember, riches are fleeting. We saw in Proverbs 23.5, riches certainly make themselves wings. 
You know, life can change on a dime. Life can change on a dime. And the rich hoarder that we talked about, his life changed on a dime. It was the rich ruler. We saw him in Luke chapter 12, verse 16. And Jesus is giving this parable. And it was just after the warning that he said, Take heed, beware of covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. Now, we are living in a culture that puts a lot of value on the stuff you possess. There's status involved in your car. There's status involved in your house. There's status involved in your clothes. And there's really status involved in your tennis shoes. Can you believe how much some people pay for tennis shoes, designer shoes? It's, it's amazing. But Jesus speaks to this, this rich ruler and says this. He spoke a parable saying, The ground of a certain rich man yielded plentifully. He thought within himself saying, What shall I do with all the stuff that I have? I have no more room. My crops are overflowing. I will do this. I'll pull down my old barns. I'll build new barns. And I will store up all of my goods. And he says this critical thing. I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. In other words, now I'm secure. Now I have everything that I need to be secure in life. And you know what God says in verse 20? But God said, fool, this night your soul shall be required of you. Then whose will those things be which you have provided? So is he who lays up treasure for himself and not rich toward God. It is not wise to store up for yourself and exclude God. It's not saying that it's wrong to have riches, but it is saying that it's wrong for riches to have you, to have you. And remember, a lot of people think that they can take it with them. We gave the example of King Tut, and we put him on the screen, and we saw the, the ornate burial chamber, and then we saw the ornate treasury chamber, and then we saw all the things that he valued in another chamber. There was food supplies umpteen wagon wheels, carts, and that sort of thing. He thought that stuff would be valuable in the next world. Was he shocking? Because my second slide was an empty room. That's what he took with him. He took absolutely nothing with him. And 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 7 says this, For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain that we shall take nothing out of it. All the earthly stuff that we treasure so much here will not have value in God's kingdom. You realize that. It doesn't have value in God's kingdom. The principle is clear. Do not trust your riches. Do not trust your stuff. It's going to erode. It's not going to have value in the, in the coming kingdom. And we are to fix our hope on Christ and do good works for him, which will pay dividends for eternity. I mean, that's what we should be doing. Now, that's, that's an investment that is worth making. And then we are to hold loosely to what God gives us because it is not ours. We are simply stewards, caretakers. It's not ours. It's not ours. We're watching over it for a short time. And then I finished the talk with this question, and I'll ask you it again today. Can God trust you with more for his glory, or will you squander what you get on me, myself, and I? That's a legitimate question. That is a fair question. Now, this week we're going to be talking about be patient brethren, something that in the microwave American personality, it's exceedingly difficult, something very difficult. I want it now. I want it my way. I want it immediately. I want a fast car. I want a fast hamburger. I want a fast everything, and I want everybody out of my way so I can have what I want. Be patient brethren. Let's pray.
Thank you, Lord, for this time. Thank you that you've given us your word, and thank you that you have given us the ability to live with patience in spite of our impatience. And we will see how we do that in our study today. Open our eyes to the truth of your word, Lord. Holy Spirit, speak to our hearts. Help us to change because we've been in contact with the living God today. Lord, it's exciting to hear from you. Speak to us words of truth. In Jesus' name, amen. So, living in America today, we are conditioned to be impatient. You realize that? You are conditioned to be impatient. Whether you know it or not, we are the center of our universe. Everyone else is in my way. I'm important. I'm important. This self-importance mentality creates an impatience in us. Impatience. Patience is a lesson that we need in our youth, we need it in our middle age, and we need it in our old age. We all need patience. And sometimes we cloak our impatience with disguises. I'm just being frank. I'm just being direct. I'm just getting to the point really quick. Impatience destroys peace, takes happiness away from the efforts of our lives, and wears our hearts out prematurely. It's the poison that disturbs our souls, impatience, and it robs us of doing great things in the service of God. Impatience. James is not just adding this little section of impatience in here just to to throw something in. He's writing it, and it's connected to the six verses before it about being patient with the wealthy that are exploiting you. They were being exploited. The tyrants were exploiting them. So So he's encouraging them to have Patience until the Lord comes. Patience is something that we all need, but is is it something that you really want? Or do you want everyone else to have patience with you? For instance, on the freeway, if everyone's having patience with me, what are they going to do? They're going to get right out of my lane and just allow me to go in that left lane. They're never going to go slower than me in the left lane. They're going to just Leave me alone because the whole world is about me, me, myself, and I. I want people to be patient with me, but it's not so easy for me to be patient with others. Patience is an expectation for every believer. Isn't that something? Verse 7 and 8, God expects us to cultivate patience. And I want to, I'm going to say this several times. It's not natural. It's supernatural. Verse 7 and 8. Therefore, be patient. This is a command. Be patient, brethren, and you're patient until when? The coming of the Lord. Through everything you're going through, until the Lord comes for you. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and latter rain. You also be patient. Establish your heart. Stand fast. Have a solid heart. For the coming of the Lord is at hand. Now. It's not automatic. Patience, again, is not automatic. No one is born with patience. In case you think that's not true, look at a baby. How patient are they when it's time to be fed? I want my bottle, and I want it now. My diaper needs to be changed, Mom, or Dad, or Dad, and I want it changed now because it's hurting me, okay? How about burping? I just ate. I just ate, parent. Don't you know what I need to do next? Okay. I need to be burped. 
They get impatient. Now, impatience is a characteristic of babies and immature Christians. Now, this, this is like a knife in my heart because you think at some point you're going to be a mature Christian. But when we are impatient, we are demonstrating immaturity. So I would suggest that no matter where you are on the maturity curve, there are regressions back to babydom. Okay? Be patient until the coming of the Lord. In other words, we're to bear up until the Lord comes. And he gives the example of the farmer who has no control of the rain and he has no control of the sun, but he has to trust God to provide for him. Everything is out of our hands. We must trust God. We cannot hurry the plant's growth. We cannot make the plant grow by wishing and hoping and and going, grow plant, grow. I'm going to give you positive thoughts on growing. Doesn't work that way. You must wait. And it's the same thing with life circumstances. Sometimes we just have to wait, and we just have to be patient. We just have to be patient. Patience is not natural. It's the antithesis. It's the opposite of who we are. Patience is the opposite of who we are. I want relief, I want change, and I want it now. The Greek word for patience is this. It's makrothumio, and it means slow to heat up. It comes from the root word Makros, which means a long way off, and thumos, which means passion or heat, is where we get the word long-suffering. Long-suffering. Patient people are not short-tempered, but have a long fuse. Now, a good example of patience that we see in Scripture is in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. It's the love chapter. And the first thing it says about love is love is patient. Love is patient. Love is long-suffering. Love overlooks an offense, doesn't hold someone's feet to the fire. Patience is not natural. It is something that is developed. The natural response is to jump all over the person. You're not doing something quite the, quite the way I want you to do it. You know someone who had patience and who, someone who I think was really connected to God was Abraham Lincoln. Listen to what was written about him regarding patience. No one treated Lincoln with more contempt than did Edwin Stanton, who denounced Lincoln's policies and called him a low, cunning clown. Now, how would that go today? How would that go today? Fit right in. Stanton had nicknamed him the original gorilla and said that explorer Paul Duchalou was a fool to wander about in Africa trying to capture a gorilla when all he would have to go do is go to Springfield, Illinois and see Lincoln. Lincoln did not respond or reply. He did not respond or reply to these public denouncements of his character. There wasn't a tweet that went out. There wasn't something that went out that tried to condemn Stanton. No, there wasn't. As a matter of fact, as the years went on, Stanton was, was picked as, his war, as Lincoln's war minister because Stanton was the best man for the job. And Lincoln treated him with courtesy, and the years wore on. The night came when an assassin's bullet struck down Lincoln in a theater. In the room off to the side where Lincoln's body was taken stood Stanton that night. As he looked down at the silent, rugged face of of the president, Stanton said through his tears, There lies the greatest ruler of men the world has ever seen. Lincoln had patience, and Lincoln had love. And it wasn't natural. It was supernatural. Hudson Taylor says this. Uh, Hudson Taylor started the missions in, in, in China. 
And for being a, an inland China missionary, he said you had to have three qualities. Number one was patience. Number two was patience. And number three was patience. You had to have patience. One man said this, a patient man is one who having the resources and opportunity to avenge himself, much like LinkedIn did with all the power he had, chooses to refrain from the exercise of these. Patience is not natural, folks. Patience is supernatural. Supernatural. Lincoln had supernatural patience. Impatience is I want the change. I want it now. Again, it's a baby trait. And whenever you get this feeling of I have no time for this, that's impatience. You've identified it. The Greek said this, the first necessity of learning is patience. If we really want to learn, we have to have patience. When we are irritable and impatient, we cannot learn the lessons God has for us. Question is this, ask yourself this, how in this rapid-paced, me-centered, microwave, want-it-now world do I cultivate patience? Glad you asked. You can't. Only God can. Only God can. You cannot be patient by saying, today, I really mean it. On the highway, I'm going to be patient. Or I'm going to be patient at work. Or I'm going to be patient at the school. Or I'm going to be patient on the team or wherever you're going to be. I really mean it. It doesn't work that way. Only God can make you patient. Patience is an overflow of abiding in Christ. Here, let me say that again. Patience is an overflow of abiding in Christ. And remember, abiding in Christ means dwelling, making your home in Christ. Making your home in Christ. John 15, 5 says this, I am the vine. Jesus speaking, I am the vine. He's the power source. He's what we're connected to. You are the branches. You are connected to the power source. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And one of the fruits of the Spirit is patience. Patience. Now, did you hear this? A changed you results from abiding in Christ. It's a natural outcome of abiding. Fruit is a natural outcome of abiding. You don't strain to make it grow. It happens as we spend time with God. It's a natural outflow of that. And it will be produced in your life. Galatians 5.22, again, the fruit of this, one of the fruits of the Spirit is patience. Now hear this, a changed life with changed behavior. Isn't that what we want? Christ comes into us, we want to be different. I don't want to keep responding like a baby. I want to respond as a mature followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. A, a changed life with changed behavior, with changed values, with changed thinking, with changed responses to the daily inputs that we get. Every day they kind of nudge you. They kind of nudge you. Comes with a change in our time with God. There are no shortcuts. We have to abide in Christ in order to change. It doesn't happen automatic. You cannot expect to survive the onslaught of this world system, which, by the way, is inputting to you 24-7 things of this world, conditioning you to accept the things of this world. We can't expect to survive this onslaught of the world system, your own flesh cravings, which are still there when you're a Christian, okay? 
the devil's deception by willpower or by wishing and hoping. It does not happen. Your power to overcome the change comes with yielding your will and your way to God. That is the only way that it happens, to be filled with the Holy Spirit. A natural overflow of spending time with God is a diminishment of the world, the flesh, and the devil's influence on your behavior. You want to change behavior, you want to change thinking, you want to change the course of your life, it starts by spending time with God. There are no shortcuts. There are no shortcuts. And I'll tell you, that's the reason that you will get all the interruptions in the world from the demonic realm. From the phone call to the bird tweeting outside your window, oh, that's a tweet I've never heard before. I should, I should get away from this and go look at the bird. And all of a sudden you're off. How many times have you been distracted when you're trying to study the Word of God? These aren't just coincidences. These are orchestrated events to try to get you away from the centrality of God's Word. That's what I believe. It happens all the time. So, we change when we spend time with God. And with that knowledge, we can live out verse 8, which says this, You also be patient. You also be patient, just like the farmer was patient. And establish your hearts. And you're to be patient because the coming of the Lord is at hand. God is coming, and we are to be patient until he comes for us, either by the rapture of the church or by our natural passing. We are to endure this thing with patience, with patience. Be patient. And again, it's the Holy Spirit power in you. It is not natural. It is supernatural. And we are to establish our, our hearts. And what does that mean? To stand fast to be strong with the Holy Spirit's power. I've given you this verse before. It's 1 Corinthians 6.13. When you're establishing your heart, remember, if you're establishing your heart and you're standing strong in the things of God, then you will not be led around by your feelings or by your urges. We all have feelings and we all have urges that are not appropriate. You do not want to be led by those. Okay? The verse is 1 Corinthians 16, 13. It says, watch, stand fast in the faith. And then it says, be brave. And when you look up that word, be brave, it means act like a man. Act like a man. Be strong. Let all that you do be done with love. We hold fast when we abide in Christ. When we abide in Christ. Our greatest motivator for change, folks, is that the Lord is coming. The Lord is coming soon. Maranatha, the Lord is coming soon, and he will rescue us from this plight called earth. But while we are here, we are to watch, stand fast in the faith, be brave, be strong, be a committed follower of Christ, spend time with him. Everything is ending that we know. Jesus really is coming back. All things will be made bright. You know, when I was in Vietnam, we had a tour of duty, a tour of duty. It was one year, and all you had to do was make it to the next day, the next day, the next day. This is our tour. You just have to make it to the next day, to the next moment, the next challenge, because your tour will end. Your tour will end. 
Be patient. Be patient. The great impetus for us to be patient is that Jesus is coming for us and everything will one day be made right. That's the truth. Verse 9 through 11. Living here is not easy. There's many challenges. We would agree with that. There's a whole flurry of disappointments that we have to live through. There's suffering that we have to live through. But God expects us to be patient in suffering, the struggles of life, and the disappointments of life. That is a mark of a Christ follower. Patient through the stuff of life. Verses 9 through 11. Do not grumble. Anybody have a problem with grumbling? Right, that ever happened to you? Against one another, brethren, lest you be condemned. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. My brethren, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and patience. And we'll look at those. Indeed, we count them blessed who endure. You have heard of the perseverance of Job and seen the end intended by the Lord, that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. Look, if you, if you don't get anything from this talk today, remember this. The Lord is very compassionate and merciful. He knows that we are flesh. He knows how we are made. He knows that we are subject to stumble. He knows that who we are, how pitifully weak we are. But he also knows how strong we can be if we will be connected with him and how we can be an overcomer with the challenges that come into our life. When suffering, and this hits everybody, this hits every house, this hits every person individually, this hits everybody. This is a universal plight of earth. Remember that God is with you through it all. And he will never, Hebrews 13.5 says, he will never leave you nor forsake you. Keep that in the front of your mind when the disappointment comes, when the suffering comes, when the persecution comes, when the struggle comes. And then do not grumble against one another, brethren. Grumble means to hold a grudge, to groan, or to sigh. Holding a grudge is a prelude to bitterness and condemnation. Judging. And when suffering, we must be careful with a root of bitterness developing. Let me say that again. When we go through suffering and disappointments, and they come in waves, it usually just doesn't come one thing at a time. They come in waves. Careful with becoming a root of bitterness developing. And it can be against people or it can be against God. And it's easy to do. These people were persecuted for their faith. And then on top of that, another wave. The wealthy were oppressing them. It's easy to turn. It's easy to grumble and complain when that happens. James uses two examples of those who made it through the persecution and suffering. The prophets in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 35, and Job 42, 1 through 3. I just want you to hear about the prophets. These, this is the faith chapter, Hebrews chapter 11. Now, a lot of these people had these wonderful faith experiences. By faith, they overcame this. By faith, they closed the mouths of lions. By faith, they conquered. By faith, it was just wonderful and great and terrific. And then you get to verse 35, the other side of the faith coin. Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. Still others had trial of mockings and scourging, yes, of chains and imprisonment. 
That's what these people were going through, chains and imprisonment for following Christ. And, and brethren throughout the world are experiencing this. They were stoned, they were sawed in two, were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, and tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. You think there'd be a little discouragement there? You think a little bit of downer would enter into your mind if that's happening to you? You bet. You bet it would. And all these having obtained a good testimony through faith. There wasn't grumbling. When they sought Isaiah in two, I don't think he was going, I don't like this, Lord. But I, you know, he had to be just saying, Lord, help me. That's what he'd be saying. Lord, help me. Give me the strength. And all of these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise. Did not receive the promise. That was to come. Messiah was coming. Messiah was coming. Their rescue would have to come later. How about Job? How about Job? Well, in Job chapter 42, we see these words. Now, this is written in the context after Job's four friends come to him and say, each one of them, the last one wasn't quite as bad as the first three, but his four friends eventually get around to, Job, you've sinned. Job, you've done something wrong. Job, 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 you, you, you. And what did Job's wife say to him when he was full of boils? Curse God and die. Isn't that just great help meet? Just curse God and die. That's what Job has heard all through this. So Job is feeling a little bit down, and then God enters the picture in, in Job chapter 38 through 41, and God speaks to Job in such a way as, where were you, Job? If you're wondering about all this, what's going on, you're wondering where I am in this, where were you when I laid the plumb line of the earth? Where were you when I set the constellations in place in the sky? Where were you when I made the behemoth or the Leviathan? Job, answer me these questions. Where were you when I did these things? And Job comes to his senses. And in chapter 42, verse 1, he said this, Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know you can do everything. See, in your suffering, you must reach a point where you realize, God, I don't understand, but I know you can do anything, everything and that no purpose of yours can be withheld from you. You are sovereign. You are in control. There are reasons beyond my ability to understand or comprehend in the crucible of pain what is going on. I will, may never understand this. Job never understood. He never understood. And no purpose of yours can be withheld from you. You ask, who is this who hides counsel without knowledge? You're asking me questions, Job, without knowledge. Therefore, Job says, I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Look at God never wastes the sufferings of his saints. Job met God in a deeper way through his suffering, through his disappointment, through his struggle. In the crucible of suffering, we cannot see the reason for it, oftentimes we cannot see the reason for it, the results of it, or our refinement through it. When the heat is turned up, it's easy to grumble, it's easy to complain, and it's easy to blame God and say, why are you allowing this God? And we don't know 
the whole program. No matter what, even when we do not know why, even when we do not know why, we must be patient and trust God. In suffering, remember this truth. The Lord is compassionate and he is merciful. You just have to believe that. Because when you're hurting and everything in your being is is just wasting away, either physically, emotionally, or spiritually, it's hard to comprehend that. But it is something we must bring to the forefront of our mind and say, yes, the Lord is compassionate. Yes, the Lord is merciful. Just like the prophets knew this, just like Job knew this, we must know this. He has not forgotten you in your pain. He has not forgotten you. He knows exactly where you are. As a matter of fact, Isaiah puts it this way. In Isaiah chapter 43, he says this, Fear not. Fear not. Have faith in God. Fear not. In your struggle, fear not. Have faith in God. For I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name, and you are mine. Isn't that intimate? I have called you by your name, and you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. These are stages of of, of suffering and struggling. When you pass through the waters, what does he say? I will be with you. And he is enough when you're going through the struggle. And through the rivers as it ramps up, they shall not overflow you. Why? I will be with you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned. Why? It's ramping up. Because I will be with you. Nor shall the flame scorch you. I will be with you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior, who is with you through it all. Remember, God has never, we've said this like 12,000 times, this is 1201, okay? God has never promised to have you leapfrog the problems in your life. He's never promised to have you take a belly smacker slide under your problems. He has always promised that he'll take you by the hand and he will go through them with you. You are never, ever, ever alone with God. Even in that last moment of life, when no one can go through that operating room door with you, your family gets left outside, your God is with you. And he is close to you and he's holding you and he he comforts you like you cannot believe. He is there for you. That is our God. That is our God. He is with you. God expects of his people in trials and suffering and disappointments is to have patience. It's not natural. It's supernatural. Patience in the trial demonstrates something, and it demonstrates trust in God. What did the preacher say from Atlanta, Georgia, Richard Farmer? I will trust in the Lord until I die. I will trust in the Lord until I die. I might not understand it, but I will trust him. Remember, patience is not natural. It is supernatural. It is developed by spending time with God. There are no shortcuts. You must spend time with God to be changed and to make it through this stuff. Think about this. If you do not learn to trust in God, no matter what, if you continue to be impatient through the sufferings, the trials, the disappointments, which are going to come one after another as part of being here on a fallen earth, okay? Know this. Chuck Missler writes this. 
An impatient Christian is a powerful weapon in Satan's hands. Moses' impatience robbed him of his trip to the Holy Land. Abraham's impatience led to the birth of Ishmael. And we have the Arab-Israeli conflict to this day. Impatience. Peter's impatience almost made him a murderer. You ask, how did that happen? When he took the sword and he sliced off Malchus's ear, where was he aiming? And right between the peepers, man, he wanted to split him in two. Jesus says, put your sword up. Those who live by the sword die by the sword. And you put the ear back on Malchus and healed him. My grace is sufficient for you. For everyone in the crucible of pain, my grace is sufficient for you. You are not a robot caught in the jaws of fate. You are a loved child of God part of a profound and wonderful plan, we must trust him, no matter what. Finally, verse 12, he says something interesting. In suffering and pain, there's a tendency to bargain with God. Anybody ever done this? Oh, Lord, take this flu from me. Just two days ago. Oh, Lord, take it from me. I swear, I'll never, you know, yeah, sure. Yeah, no bargaining, no bargaining. It's foolishness. But notice what he says here. Uh, During suffering, God expects us to be patient and not swear. Not swear. That means swear oaths or bargain. Okay? Now, verse 12. But above all. Now, isn't that something? But above all, don't do this. My brethren, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no, no, lest you fall into Judgment, lest you fall into judgment. So, what is an oath? What is an oath? What is, a, what is swearing? What is bargaining? It's to say something sacred to support what, I, what you should say, you, what, you, what you say you will do. Oh, Lord, I swear I will do this. If you do that, you cannot bargain with God in that way. It's hypocrisy. It's foolishness. In the midst of suffering, it's easy to make an oath that we cannot keep. I swear, Lord, if you do this, I'll do that, and I'll fail miserably. How many times do we break our oaths to God? The Christian life is anchored in truth, not an oath. An oath is not necessary. Matthew 5, 37, But let your yes be yes, and your no be no, for whatever is more than these is from the evil one. No false oaths. And when it actually says here, lest you fall into judgment, that word is actually hypocrisy. Unless you're a hypocrite, a mask wearer, saying one thing and then doing another. God knows that we can't keep our promises like that. He knows that we can't. We, we want to. I mean, if you do make an oath, there are times in Scripture where it says it's okay to make an oath. You better keep your oath. That is a very serious thing with God. But so many people trivialize it. That's the warning here, is trivializing your oath, acting as a hypocrite. No false oaths, just plain truth, especially in the crucible of suffering. Trust God no matter what. Now, in conclusion, with everything that life throws at you, be patient, brethren. And remember, it comes in waves. It's just one thing after another. And when you feel like you're at your weakest point, isn't that when another one just slaps you right between the peepers? 
Here comes another one, just like the other one. You go, oh, no. Be patient, brethren. Just, just a review. God expects believers to cultivate patience. Remember, it's not natural. It has to be cultivated. How? Patience is an overflow of time with God. It's not natural. It is supernatural. It's something that God produces in us as we spend time with him. God expects believers to be patient in suffering. Now, why is that? That the world may know that we have been with the Master. That the world may know that we are different because we have been with the Master. We've been with the Savior. Suffering cultivates a changed you. And again, it's not natural. It's supernatural. And finally, God expects believers to be patient in suffering and not resort to making oaths. No deal-making. No, I will do this, Lord, if you do that. You cannot make a deal with God. All we can do is submit to him and ask him to help us. And if you try to make deals with him, then this is not trusting. And remember, our theme is this, I will trust in the Lord until I die, until I'm out of here. And no matter what comes, be patient, brethren. It's not natural, it's supernatural. It's a miracle of God in our lives as we spend time with him. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for this time to study your word. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you're teaching us to be patient. We are very impatient people. We have been raised in an America that wants it their way. Now, we want a hamburger our way now. We want the road being free for us to travel on our way now. We want our families to just treat us as kings and have our way now. And Lord, we're like babies. Thank you that you're teaching us that through the crucible of suffering and disappointment and struggles, that we can be different. That we can respond with patience, long-suffering, slow to heat up, trusting you until you come back for us. That's what we want to be, Lord. People of the book, people filled with your spirit, people that can be overcomers because we spend time with our God. And may that witness be a witness to the world around us what it means to be a true Christ follower. May we respond differently because the Lord Jesus Christ reigns supreme in our hearts. Thank you for this time. Lord, I, I, I freely admit that I am not a patient man, and that is something that, is, that you are continually working on me. And Lord, I yield to that process. I want to be more and more like Jesus and less and less like Rick. Thank you for this time that you've given us to study the precious Word of God. In Jesus' name, amen.